Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, um, first of all, I want to thank everybody who helped with the 20th anniversary uh, celebration last weekend. It was just such a great day and a lot of fun. So, for those of you who helped, thank you very much. And, and I was thinking about it a little bit this week. Um, not only have I been here 20 years now, um, but I've actually been ordained as a pastor for 32 years now. And yeah, I know. I know. I don't look that old, right? Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about it because it, it's one of these things when you're a pastor, you, it's, it's almost kind of fun you can have with people. Um, because usually when people meet me for the first time and they don't know what, what I do, and then eventually they find out that I'm a pastor, I get the weirdest reactions. I, I really do. Um, sometimes it's like people just kind of like, well, you don't look like a pastor, which I say, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know what a pastor's supposed to look like. Um, but then I get things like if, if it's been like around some sailing friends, you know, usually they're apologizing for their language. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other thing I get is uh, very often people have this sense that they, like they got to do confession. I, there's something about my presence that makes people feel guilty. So they feel like they got to they explain why they don't go to church, you know, and, and, and why they're not involved. In and very often the response that I get, well, you know, I'm just not very religious, but I am spiritual which I've always wondered what the difference is between the two. But, but I thought about that, and, and really I found that very few people want to be labeled religious. And, and if you think historically um, of all the wrongs that have been committed in the name of religion, I, I think there's some good reason why. Uh, you look back through, through history and the Spanish Inquisition um, and the Crusades and, and uh, the Salem witch trials in our own country, um, and, and then the number of wars and battles and violence that's been perpetrated, even to this day, in the name of religion. And, and then I think of um, scandals of religious leaders or the, in the church and how people who, who profess to be for this group of people turns out to be in it for themselves. And, and, and you see all of those things and you say, yeah, I, I kind of get why people don't want to be labeled religious. In fact, you could probably make the case in a lot of ways that religion actually does more harm than good. And yet there's something inside of us that, that really longs for, there's, there's something inside of us that, that, that longs for something more. We have this, this sense that there's got to be more than just this life. And, and for some reason, religion doesn't really fit the bill. In fact, that's why we're starting, this whole series we're entitling Losing My Religion, because I think a lot of stuff has been piled on top of a very simple message and I think it's the stuff that turns people off. And if we get past the stuff, lose the religion, and just get back to the message, talked about it last week, I think it's a powerful thing. And I think it's what people are longing for and hungry for. In fact, we actually put in your, in your programs, these, uh, they're postcards. And if you've got a friend who says, I'm not very religious, you can say, neither is me, neither am I, and neither is my church. And in fact, we're talking about that. Uh, the difference between religion and what Jesus really taught. And so um, we're going to use these as an invitation. In fact, it's gonna, the series is going to continue all the way through Easter. In fact, our whole Easter sermon is going to be about losing religion, which is really going to blow some people away when they come in because that's the only Sunday they show up and they're going to go, where, where, where am I? Um, but anyway, the whole idea is that I think a lot of stuff has been piled on top of a very simple message. And we've gotten so caught up sometimes in religion that we've missed the heart of it, like we sang about. 
And so for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're actually going to be looking at, at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church. And he begins the letter telling about his own experience. Um, because he was a very religious guy. Very religious guy. Until God literally knocked him off his high horse and showed him what he was doing and what he should be doing. And so if you want to turn, if you've got a Bible with you, you want to grab one of those in the seats in front of you. Uh, we're going to read Saul's story. He, his name was Saul. God changed his name to Paul. Um, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 13. It's kind of a lengthy passage, so we're going to skip a little bit, some of it, but follow with me if you can. Uh, beginning in verse 13, he says, Now, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Very religious guy. But God, set me, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Verse 22. Now, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They had only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the very faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Chapter 2. So 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. And when I saw what they were doing, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If we seek to be justified in Christ and it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. For if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live and the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul said, I did the religion trip. This has been my experience. For years, I lived the first half of my life pursuing religion. God showed me 
a very simple message of grace. And there is a huge, huge difference between religion and grace. And that's what we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, beginning today. And there's some very key things just in his own experience that he talks about. One of them is this, that religion demands performance, whereas grace offers acceptance. See, religion is all about do. It's all about responsibility. It's all about uh, expectations. It's all about criterion. It's all about having to perform. And, and, and it's full of rituals and, and traditions and all kinds of things that you are expected to do. And, and, and there's, a, there's a certain appeal to that. Because, you see, if we know what we're supposed to do, then if we do it, we can feel like we've accomplished something. There's a sense of achievement that comes with that. And so that's why we gravitate towards religion. Because it's just laid out really, really simply. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And if you're really good at doing this, this, and this, then you feel pretty good about yourself. And that's a great pitfall. In fact, that's one of the pitfalls of religion. If you're really good at performing, then this sense of self-satisfaction begins to set in. And you start to think, I'm pretty good. And the measure that you use is usually your comparison with other people. See, to, to know if, how am I doing in this religious thing, I got to look at the people around me. And if I'm doing better than they are, I feel pretty good about myself. If I can say, well, better than him, better than her, whoa, way better than him. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel pretty good about myself. And that whole comparison trap, if you ever find yourself, ever find yourself talking about other people like them and those people, and I'm glad I'm not like that. In fact, Jesus told a parable about that about a Pharisee and, and a tax collector that came to pray in the same place. And the tax collector got up, tax collect, uh, Pharisee got up and said, Lord God, I am grateful that I am not like this tax collector, <laughs> that I do all the right things, not like him. That's what sets in with performance. And Paul, was, he was stuck in that. He writes this, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. He was comparing himself. I was doing better than him, I was doing better. I skipped the grade. I was, anybody my own age, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. If there were cars back then with bumpers, his mother would have got one of those bumper stickers. My child is an honor student in Gamaliel Rabbi School, you know? He was, she, would have, she would have been able to put that on her car. That was Paul. That was his whole life. It was all about performing. And he was good at it. And so he could feel pretty good about himself. And that's, what, that's the thing with religion. If you're good at it, if you're good at performing, you feel really good about yourself. The downside is, if you're not good at it, then your life is filled with shame and guilt feelings. And you feel like a failure. Because religion's not where it's at. The other great pitfall is not just in the comparison, but that sense of, of superiority. Because that's the next thing that happens. Because when, we become, when we, we become judges of performance, we start not only judging our own performance, we start judging everybody else's performance. You know? Two, <laughs> five, one. See, because we're so used to comparing, we're so used to judging, we're not just judging our own performance now, we're judging everybody else's. And that's where that judgmentalism rises. And then we begin to feel like, well, it's our job to bring everybody else up to snuff. See, that's what we do. Because, you know, you're not as good as me, but I can help you get better, you know. Let me show you how. 
And then if they don't want to cooperate, well, then we just snuff them out. You know? That's what Paul did. He says all of these things. He said, and, and, and not only that, I intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it because they weren't living up to my expectations. They were not doing religion the way I knew it should be done. And because they were doing it the wrong way, they had to be done away with. They're a bad influence. And that self-satisfaction and that superiority starts spilling over into the way that we treat people. Because we're caught in this religion trap and comparison and performance, and that's what it's all about. And that is not what Jesus brought. What he brought was grace. And grace is about acceptance. See, acceptance starts with who you are. And then what you do follows who you are. Religion says, do this and God will love you. Grace said, God loves you so you can do differently. It's a huge, huge difference. Grace says God loves you just the way that you are. With all of your faults, with all of your failures, with all your mistakes, with all the stuff that you are struggling with in your life right this moment, God still loves you. He loves the real you, not the performing you, not the pretend you, the you, the you that nobody else gets to see, the you that you keep covered up really, really good. God sees, and he loves you. You are already loved by God. And and that was such a huge breakthrough for Paul. And God has this, this sense of humor because here's Paul and he's got all this religious upbringing. He knows all the law inside and out. He was really good at making other people keep the law. And you know what God said to him? Okay, you're not going to be my apostle to the Jews. You're going to go to the Gentiles, which is a huge thing for Paul because here's the big, great, the big breakthrough. God not only loves the Jews, God loves Gentiles too. And he says to, he says to Paul, That's what you're going to do. You're going to go and tell them about the love of Christ. It says, God who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Gentiles are loved too. Because you see, the whole early church, the very first church, they were mostly Jewish. In fact, Christianity really wasn't considered a religion. It was considered more of 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 a sect of Judaism that followed a rabbi, Jesus. And, and, and most of the early church and very first, very first believers were all Jews. So this was a huge thing that, that this is not just for God's chosen people, the Jews. This is for the whole world. God loves the whole world, even Gentile sinners. Paul says, that's the message I want you to take. You've done the religion thing. Here's the message you need to hear. Here's what you need to tell other people. Religion talks about Performance. Grace is all about acceptance. The other thing is that religion pushes conformity. You got to step in line. You got to do the right things. You got to look like everybody else. That's what religion does. It focuses on conformity where grace offers us authenticity. See, because religion is all about externals. It's how you appear, how people think of you. And, And that's a very, very big thing. 
And, and we do that. We do that in society. We do that in culture all the time, not just in religious circles. We do it throughout our culture. John Ortberg writes about this in a great book, um, The Life You Always Want. He talks about there are boundary markers, certain boundary markers by which we use to identify people, who they are and where they belong. For instance... In the 60s, if you went through the Haight-Ashbury of San Francisco and you saw somebody driving a a VW microbus with a tie-dye shirt wearing granny glasses and a bumper sticker that said, make love, not war, you would be looking at a hippie. Yeah, that's all the markers. And in the 80s, if you went across the Golden Gate Bridge over to Marin County and you saw somebody with a cashmere sweater tied around the neck, you know, with penny loafers, um, sipping white wine, you would be looking at... A yuppie, yeah. And if you went on the other side of the bay and you went over to Oakland and you saw somebody dressed in black leather with, you know, huge earrings, you know, and a tattoos all over the place, you would probably be looking at uh, yeah. a biker. A biker. We'll just call it a biker. There are these exterior markers that we use to judge people. And in religious circles, it's no different. There are certain indicators that we look to. And the thing about boundary markers is they define who's in and who's out. That's the problem with them. And so religion becomes all about conformity. Now, in Paul's day, there were certain boundary markers. There were boundary markers to be one of God's people. One of them was circumcision. Circumcision was a really big thing. And this, was no, this really was no small issue. Because you see, like I said, all the early believers were Jews. They were already circumcised. Now you've got Gentiles. Now, before then, if a Gentile had converted to Judaism, they would have to be circumcised. But now we're in Christ, and now there's this grace thing. What are we going to do about these Gentiles? Do we make them go through the circumcision like we would have done if they were converted to Judaism? What, what do we do about it? In fact, this was such a big issue, they actually held a council in Jerusalem and got all the leaders of the church to talk about this. It's recorded in Acts chapter 15. And they had a huge discussion about it. And Paul was brought in and he talked about his, his ministry among the Gentiles. And Peter came in and he talked about his calling to the Gentiles. And, all the, and the whole upshoot of the, this discussion, when it came down to the end, this was their decision. It's not about boundary markers. In fact, the decision was we should not do anything to make it difficult for people who were turning to God. That is a great decision. But the problem was the formal decision was made, but it was really tough in working it out. And so that's what Paul's writing about. He said, um, I, I went to Jerusalem, I went to this council, and I brought with me Barnabas, and I also brought Titus, who was a Gentile. And, and that's what he writes about. He says, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. To which Titus, Titus replied, Whew! <laughs> he was a Greek believer. He was there. And the decision was, no. That's not a boundary marker we're going to insist on anymore. That's the old religion. That's not grace. Another big one was um, dietary laws. What was kosher and not kosher? What could be eaten and what could not be eaten? 
And this was a huge boundary marker as well. And this one actually Paul encountered with Peter a little bit later on in Antioch. Because this big decision has been made. Now Paul has gone to Antioch and he's founded a church there. Peter comes to visit and Peter joins right in because he was there a part of the decision. He knows the decision. We're not going to do these boundary marker things anymore. It's not about religion. It's about grace. It's not about performance. It's about acceptance. And, and, and it's not about conformity. It's about authenticity. And so he just joined right in and took part and ate meals with the Gentiles. Whatever they were eating, he ate, and it was no big deal anymore. Until some of these, they were called Judaizers, some of these guys who insisted on the circumcision and all the boundary markers started to show up in Antioch. And this caused a problem. And this is what happened. That Peter kind of got sucked into the whole thing. And so this is what happened that um, Paul writes about. He said, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. By their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And that's the thing with conformity. It operates by fear. I'm afraid of what other people think. I'm afraid at what they see when they look at me. And by the way, that is a really tough one for church leaders. <laughs> you may not know it, but like in a church of four or 500 people, you got four or 500 different sets of expectations. <laughs> and, and that's what Peter was feeling. He's a leader in the church. People are looking to him. If the Judaizers come and they, and they're, they're, they want this whole circumstance, and, and I'm seen doing this, boy, what's the report they're going to bring back to Jerusalem? This could cause real trouble for me. And so he got sucked back into religion. And by the way, that's the thing with religion. It keeps sucking you back in. <laughs> the, the gravitational pull is always towards religion when God wants to free us to grace. And so he said, this was such a big deal. He said, I, I opposed him to his face. I stood up to him in front of everybody else. And, and I said, you can't do this. He says, because he says, we believe that Christ, in Christ Jesus, so that we might have, be right with God because of our faith in Christ, not in circumcision, not in our dietary behavior, but because of our faith in Christ. That's the only thing. And he says, if we lose that, if we add to that, then it's no longer grace. If we start peeling layers off of that or we start piling stuff on top of it, it is no longer grace. Grace plus anything else is not longer, no longer grace. It isn't. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He said, you cannot earn or deserve grace any more than you can plan your own surprise party. <laughs> because in the doing, you have lost it. And that's why this was such a big issue. Because Paul had been down that road. He knew the, the, the gravitational pull of religion. He says, i got to put a stop to this here and now. And so he wasn't ashamed to stand in front of Peter and everybody else and say, You're not, you can't do this. This is wrong. This is hypocritical. And by the way, that's also what conformity does. It leads to hypocrisy. We're afraid of what other people are going to see, what other people are going to think, so we pretend to be something that we are not. And I think authenticity is far more powerful. And I know you think, well, I call myself a Christian and people look at me and I've I got to make sure that my life... Yes, you should, but it should be authentic because I think far more powerful is seeing God's hand at work in somebody's life who's still making mistakes than to look at a hypocrite who looks like he's got it all together. 
Paul said it's about authenticity. That's where grace leads you. Conformity, that's the old religion thing. That just leads to hypocrisy. He says, God loves you just the way you are. He accepts you just the way that you are. So you can be the real you in front of him and everybody else. And yet we're all a work in progress. And none of us has arrived. But I think it's far more powerful for people to see the progress and the process than to see people pretending to be something they're not. Religion, lastly, insists on obedience. Strict obedience. Where grace offers freedom. See, religion means keeping all the rules. And grace sets you free from all of that. Now, I know, I know. Because, see, religion's all about control. And, and so I know a lot of people, they say, okay, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. What about morals? What about ethics? What about certain, we have to have certain standards. If you tell people that they are free, they're going to use their freedom to just indulge in whatever they want to do. If you tell them God forgives them no matter what they've done, they're just going to go out and sin all the more so that God will forgive them because they know there's no consequences. They're free. They're forgiven. If you tell people that, they're going to abuse it. And that's not a new argument. That was the argument back in Paul's day. In fact, that's what he says. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Paul says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking if we tell people they're free and they indulge in that freedom, then that's just Christ is promoting sinfulness. Paul says, no, 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 you don't. You don't get it. (laughs) Because it's not a freedom to indulge. It's a freedom to change. Really change. And I think one of the biggest reasons why we keep getting sucked back into religion, one of the biggest reasons we keep trying to work on this ourselves is, deep down, we don't believe God can really change us. Because Paul says, this isn't just a minor repair job. See, what needs to happen in your life is not just propping up a few weaknesses. What needs to happen is a brand new life. The old life has to die. In fact, that's what he says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. I've put the old life behind. But Christ lives in me and the life that I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me he says if I keep trying to fix it by myself that is a dead end street I can't fix myself I can't make those repairs because the kind of change that needs to happen in me is not just a little patch up job The old life has to die so that a new life could begin. And so he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live that life anymore. I live a new life, but I live it not in trying to do better, not at working harder. I live by faith in the Son of God. This kind of transformation is supernatural, folks. You can't do it. 
And then sometimes we get so sucked into religion because we don't believe God will. But if you believe that he can truly transform your life, you live by faith in what he is doing in your life and you trust him to make the changes and you respond simply to what he is already doing. That's life change. That's supernatural. And that's why Paul ends this whole thing. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If I add anything to grace, it is no longer grace. And I'm saying that Christ didn't do enough. He died for nothing. That's what it means when you add something to grace. That's what it means when religion gets piled on. That's what happens when we talk about performance and obedience and and all these other things. That that's just piling on something that only God can really do from the inside out. Because that's where real life change happens. When the Spirit of God comes into your life, forgiving your past, cleaning house, and building your new from the inside out. See, grace gives us freedom. Real freedom. The freedom doesn't come without a cost. There's a huge price to be paid, but it has been paid in full by Jesus on the cross. And all that needs to be done and all that can possibly be done was done by Him. And that's not fair. But it is grace. You bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.